Hi, I'm Nana. And I'm Bonquillo, and this is African.American. This is a show where we take a closer look at a subset of the African diaspora, the children of African immigrants growing up in America. We call ourselves African.Americans out of respect for the fact that the hyphen between the two words denotes a particular community, history, and culture. This show is going to take a look at how they overlap, intersect, and at times don't touch at all. So, why the show and why now? This show was born from what's up actually several WhatsApp conversations about our experiences in the United States. Most are aware that conversations about blackness aren't as nuanced as they should or could be. We want to change that a little and create a space where African.Americans can complicate the landscape. We plan to talk about a variety of issues on this podcast, from serious themes to more jovial ones and everything in between. Our theme today is The Road Less Traveled. So we want to start each show with a segment we call Concursal Gossip. It's where we take something from African or African-American news and discuss it. Today, we want to talk a little bit about African comedians and African comedy. Cool. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To start off, we know quite a number of African comedians, Yvonne Orji. Right. If you don't know, she plays oh my Molly, God, Molly yeah. on Insecure. So that's the one yeah. people are probably more familiar with. As well as Michaela Cole, who had that show. My Ghanaian sister and Michael Blackson. Michael Blackson, who's Ghanian been, sister. Yeah. He's, been, he's been in the game for years, my God. Yeah. You mother sucker, right? That's his, like, <laughs> so his backline. He had a beef with um, Kevin Hart, too, which I, I know was weird. Um, <laughs> There's also Gina Yashere. Mm-hmm. She's Nigerian, but from, I think, grew up in the UK, okay. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and she's been in, the, she has had her skin in the game for a long time. She actually used to have this uh, segment, I think, of a larger show where she played the Nigerian mother. Mrs. Oh, that, that's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> that show, those pieces were really funny, oh especially in the beginning when YouTube just came out and you're just like, what wow. is this? Um <laughs> And there's also Mark Angel. So Mark Angel, is he's in Nigeria. Mm. Um, and they have a series of videos. I call them Emanuela videos because a lot of them feature this little girl. She's probably like between 8 and 12. She's mm. like a shaved head. And she's funny. It's just little quick clips with this like funny child. There's one episode. I mean, it's, it's African comedy, so it's not politically correct. Yeah. Um, and this woman is sitting. These two women are sitting. And one of them is, you know, a little chubbier. And she was like, do you think I'm not fat? Something like, I'm not fat, I'm not fat. And they say, Emanuela, come here. And they call the little girl and they're like, am I fat? And she says, no. And she says, (laughs) I forgot what else she says, but she says, auntie, there are only five fat people in this compound and you are three of them. That's rude. (laughs) Of course, they call her rude, but they, you know, you, she's she's pretty spunky and funny. Um, There's a lot of episodes like there's another one where um, her uncle, Mark Angel, plays her uncle is playing these two women Mm. and refuses to give her food. So Emanuela is like, Uncle, I'm hungry, I want to eat, and one girlfriend comes with rice and juice or something, and he's like, No, I told you, you're not going to get any food. So she says, Oh, okay. So then that girlfriend goes and a new girlfriend comes and she's like, auntie, come and sit. I'll bring you some food. I have rice and juice for us to eat. <laughs> and the uncle kind of have to explain like why there's this stuff there. So we do have comedy. Um, we're forgetting our famous, the famous African Trevor Noah. Oh my He's gosh. Made a yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
he, so he's many. a true crossover. Oh yes. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. The true. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I, the most famous person on yeah. the list, right? Yeah. The, the and and a lot show, of the Daily Show. The Daily Show, yeah. And a lot of those these folks on this list, the the folks that we've mentioned at least have have graduate degrees. It begs the question: How much bravery does it take to be a comedian from an African community? From the African community, it seems like it's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like it seems like Africa. I know I've seen Yvonne Orji's some of her um, stand up. Not her stand-up, but her interviews. Mm. And she talks about, like, you know, her mom saying, oh, you want to be a gesta? And, like, not really understanding it. Mm. Um, and I think they encouraged her to get that degree. Mm. It was just the idea of, like, your degree should be your fallback, which I think is a good idea, right? But it sometimes kind of hinders folks from from um, yeah. entertaining or from, from growing their their talent. I mean, I thought about being a comedian and... Really? Girl, <laughs> you could still do it. You'd be cracking jokes. I here. Couldn't, I'd be cracking jokes. Thank you. <laughs> rude, rude mess. That was, no. that was actually a compliment. Just a, just a ma- Well, thank you. I'll take it as that. But you were laughing as you gave that compliment. So well, I, I, I kind of I kind of wondered. Yeah. No, no, I'm being sincere. I'm, my feelings are. You know, when now. I was when I was in high school, I I, I thought about. Uh, I thought about going there, and then I, I considered what my parents would say about me, <laughs> or how they would introduce me to friends, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> no. This See, is a pipe dream. Well, no. I mean, I think that, like, you know, Gina Yashere has an engineering degree. She, mm. she tried really yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, she's doing her thing now, and she's doing well. So Even Yvonne kind of, has a public health um, public health yeah, degree yeah, from GW. GW. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know what about the other folk. I'm sure they have, you know, Pretty compelling backgrounds. Yeah. Trevor, I don't think. I'm not sure he did. He kind of did the DJ scene. I read his uh, or listened to his audiobook, The Life oh. Story, his memoir. I'm not sure. I don't think he did. His parents weren't. I mean, his mom wasn't like, "You need to go and do this." Yeah. But I. Wonder... But you know, the theme here is the Nigerians. <laughs> Let me the stop. Niger- yeah. <laughs> stressing education. Nigerian stressing education. I don't think there's anything wrong with hey, that. Hey, you see all not. you see all these basketball, the ba- Nigerian basketball players whose parents are like, "You're finishing that. You're finishing college." I think it's fair. You're not declaring. You're not going to the NBA without finishing. It's good to have kind of that fallback in case it doesn't work out. Well, you know, but something I saw. I don't know. I was looking on Facebook, and somebody had this clip from Steve Harvey. It must be a new Steve Harvey. He has a talk show. He has like a oh, beard he's now. he's always had he has a like talk a gray show. Gray beard. No, he has a talk show. But he has like a gray beard. Oh yeah, yeah. I love oh, that look on him. Oh, this though, is a but, new look. Hey. Okay, all right. <laughs> so this woman was asking him about her daughter, who was always wanted to be in the fashion industry, mm. but she wants, and now the girl wants to quit fashion school and just start her clothing line because mm. she sees all these. Instagram babes with Instagram people with their fashion lines. Mm. And she was like, I want her to have a plan B. That's what I'm trying to, you need to have a plan B, have your formal education so you can do X, Y, and Z. And he made the point that like his son also tried to drop out of school and he also wants to do fashion. And he's like, you don't ever have a plan B. You have a plan A. Because plan B, yeah, it just takes so much energy out of you. You never really get to focus on plan A. And then if plan A doesn't work, then you get another plan A. You kind of have to put one on the back burner. You You can't be... Chasing both. But I think it's hard when you come from countries, right? This is is kind of like an issue with immigrants in Mm. general. We come from countries. A lot of times people are, you know, give me you're tired, you're Mm. hungry, you're you're seeking opportunities. Um, And you come from places, this is true, you come from places where like the police or the military or what have you just aren't the nicest. Mm. Um, And so you learn to kind of want 
that stability. Mm. You want a career that like is a sure bet that's going to enable your kid to like have a quality of life or better than the one that you have. And I think that's why you see a lot of a lot of yeah. They don't they don't want the, to see their kids engineers. yeah. They don't want to see their kids um, struggling. Right, and I think yeah. Yvonne Orji says this yeah. too. You know, her mom's problem wasn't that she wanted to be a jester, as she said, so much as like she's like I don't know anybody in that field, mm -hmm. so how can I help you mm -hmm. like in this? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's something that's fair to think about with immigrant parents. It's like it's not that they don't want their kids to diversify. It's just that it's hard when you don't know where it's going to go. It's just really tough. I know um, our brother, you know, we're bringing up very much. Who? You know who I'm going to talk about. Idris Elba. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so he was talking in an interview about um, how he, his whole family um, worked in the Ford factory in the mm -hmm. UK. And when he was trying to do his acting thing, they were like, no, come and do something more stable, be in the factory with us. Of course, because it's stable. It's good because, again, mm. because it's stable work, it's what everybody else did. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully he wanted to do more and he has been able to do more. But again, it's when you come from a place where, like, stability isn't a thing, that's what you cling to. And, like, being a comedian or an actor or a singer is not always appreciated as a thing that could bring stability. It's always the long shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think so many of them have kind of legitimate degrees in other fields? I think it's Again, the, it goes back to the stability. The stability yeah. thing. I don't know how many of them actually use it, right? You know, like... Didn't Yvonne use it a little bit or does, does she not? Maybe not. I don't know if she ever... I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah. she has become distinguished in her like comedy and acting thing. So mm. she did, she's not that old. She's so. not old. She's in her early, mid to early thirties. Yeah. yeah. So she ain't use it for early that long. Early to mid thirties, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she ain't use but it she, for that I mean, long. wouldn't you say that she, she got heartbreak from um, Insecure? Yes and no, but I mean, she moved to, I mean, but that's, she, she moved, moved to New, New York. York she'd been doing all a whole that, bunch yeah. of other things. Yeah. Like it's always like your that's break true. is usually not the first project, project you've ever teacher. touched. Yeah. Unless you're like Lena Dunham. Um, <laughs> you just had to go. I don't know why you. I said it like that. Unless you're like Lena Dunham, um, it's not the first project that you ever touch. It's usually like the culmination, or like the mm. you know after years and years of like trying to like make, make something, something happen, happen for yourself. Same yeah. with Idris. Like he was a DJ. Now people are like, oh, Idris Elba was a DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sierra Leonean party. Quite a good one. Girl, <laughs> you just have to slip. You always have to slip it in there. Sierra Leonean party. Matrilineal. Matrilineal. He got in. Oh All my right. gosh. Do anyway. <laughs> Do you think that parents hamper our children's um, goals and ability to flourish in the entertainment industry, particularly in comedy? I don't know. I mean, sports, acting. What do you think? I think yes. Because in a lot of ways, when you're growing up and when you're during your formative years, you get to take, take chances. And a lot of these white actors, actresses, you know, take those chances. They move to L.A., they move to New, um, New York. They, they also they, have they money take, to do they, so. They have money to do so, too. But I think some folks some folks can afford to do it. Um, you know, bus tables, work, work as waiters and waitresses and try to try to find work and a, a lot of these people we've mentioned actually got a late start somewhat of a late start right um because comparatively they, because they're i don't know i think that like with you know being black we know that twice as hard half as far is yeah. a thing yeah. so that's one i think another thing too is a lot of these people that are seen as rags to riches stories they got mamas daddies, daddies who got uncles, money yeah. who have not just have money who are like actual Connected. actors they just change their names and they come out and we're like oh here's the brand new thing and you're like 
oh wait, that's so and so's daughter. daughter that's so and so's granddaughter. And when you don't, that, that is very true. When you don't have those connections, then it makes it harder for you to take those kinds of risks. Mm. At the same time, though, I think that I look at some communities, like I look at the Jewish community, for instance, and I think it's really interesting that like you do see people like Jewish people who are really prominent roles in film, in television, in music, just in entertainment in general. Mm. And I wonder why that's happened in that community, but others tend to not do it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because these are all, this is also a community that wasn't very big. Some of these people, you know, like, I think they have histories that stem from like coming, you know, after the second world war and like being in part of these immigrant communities. And then like, now there's so many different, you know what I mean? There's, yeah, if you yeah. talk about prominent Jewish Americans or the way that they've influenced our like lives, our like popular culture, the influence is imminent. Like we yeah. think about Christmas songs, although this is probably from a little bit earlier. And most of our holiday songs in America are written by Jewish people. Yeah. And that's why they don't have much to do with Christmas. No, 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 there's an article <laughs> at NPR about it. And that's why, you know, like Deck the Halls of Halls of Fall. You think about it, Jingle Bells, all these songs ain't got nothing to do with like jesus and the manger it's just like oh it's the holiday season but like they've they've made their mark and like these things like what's that song no no place like home for the holidays that's no place like that's a christmas song i don't care what anyone says i I don't know who it was written by but like it's probably was written by jewish america and i i'd like for africans to come to the point where um we are allowing our children to take those risks to the point where we are in a space mm-hmm. where we can let them take those risks. But I mean, in, in a way, this whole thing makes me think about kind of growing up in Ghana or, or visiting and, and seeing how um, revered certain careers are. Doctor, lawyer, engineer. Doctor, lawyer, engineer. It's the immigrant story. Yep. So <laughs> it goes back to that, especially folks who grew up on the continent. If you have such, um, if you aspire to be, you know, an actor or a musician, whatnot. I mean, now things things may be changing, but are you really going to follow through on that, knowing very well that more likely than not, it's not going to be successful? Yeah, but even in Africa, we have actors and actresses. We, we do have, we have comedians. We do have them, but again, famous. a lot a lot of them also come from wealthy families. Yes, I mean. So <laughs> it's like it's like me getting up and saying, "No, oh, I'm going to be an actor." And I mean, but why not? Not having not having the support of of mother, father, aunt, grandma. Well, I don't. That's why and, I said I hope that we reach a point where we have families who can be supportive on the at state side. I think mm-hmm. I think also there is the the issue of like you can't even begin to comprehend something until you see it. Yeah, that's the same thing with kids at, like, you know, competitive colleges. Once you get one, then other people understand, oh, it's not, Not like, it's attainable for me. So I think that, yeah, you have Michaela Cole, you have Yvonne Georgie, Mm -hmm. you have Brother Idris, the Elba, the Sierra Leonean. You have, um, who else are, like, African? There's so many. There are actually quite a lot. There are quite a few, like, people, African dot Americans who are making their mark. And that makes it easier for subsequent generations to be, like, oh, I want to be, like, either. I want to be Michael Gapa is another one. Who's that? Is he the he's, one from, he's a from British, Girls Trip? He's, no, oh. he's a lot. <laughs> no, that he's that a Ghanaian, a, a Ghanaian British um, actor, a, a comedian, comedian. Oh, okay. Poo, 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 poo. Ah, there's a there's the, there was a song that it's kind of a rap. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, that 
video. <laughs> that was, was funny. Hilarious. He is funny. But it was Mr. With- Ofori, his his Mr. Ofori personas. He's he's hilarious. And I think with him, social media really helped. That's another thing that's gonna that helps break is helping people yeah. break the barrier yeah. because then the barrier to entry is not as high. Yeah. Um, I found him on YouTube, and I was just in the library. I mean, like the Mike Mark Angel. It's a bunch of YouTube clips, yeah. and you can find they they have like probably over like two hundred episodes at this point, and they're just like three to five. Clips. <laughs> There's so many awful memes about that too. It's the best. He is a fool. It is the absolute best. Oh, so yeah, I mean, I think we're not there yet, but mm. we are getting there, mm. and it really is nice to see. I think they're more black, just black faces in general and mm. African dot American or African faces in particular, because um, it's going to help to change the story a little yeah. bit. I think we have Idris Elba, we have Chiwetel Ejiofor, mm-hmm. we have now, I feel like at least for black Brits, it's like not a, as crazy to be like, I want to be in movies. That's that yeah. guy from Star Wars. Another, he's a Nigerian oh, British. Oh, I know who you're, you're talking about. I, oh, I can't recall his name, but we all know, we, we know who we're talking about. There's so many. There's so many. Daniel Kaluuya, yeah, another one. Yeah. Um, so it's possible, and to be in like really like not just tiny B movies or tiny roles to get like the you know the part the main parts, juicy meaty parts that yeah. get you awards. Yeah. Um, so John Boyega. Yes, there we go. Thank you. All right, all right. So now um, we're going to switch gears a little bit and get a little more real with our next segment, the chat. In keeping with the idea of the road less traveled, we want to actually talk about something a little bit more serious, and it's mental health in the African community. Um, This is something that doesn't, it's just a topic that we don't discuss enough. Um, And there are a lot of different reasons for that. Maybe we want to dig into that as we like get into this chat. Mm -hmm. So I guess a starting question would be what's, What's the approach or thoughts on mental health that you had growing up? What was your sense of what the community thought about it? I mean, it had some sort of some religious underpinnings as in, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> it's Juju is this. Is Jesus, this. And you know, that demon. <laughs> as I've get, gotten older, I realized that there were a whole lot of folks who had depression who, you know, mm-hmm. after they would give birth, had depression. But people, people would be like, oh. You know, it's juju. Somebody which something him or something her. is yeah. Somebody somebody's doing something to them, and whatnot. Growing up, that was the thought, and you know, that was how I I would view folks who were you know hurting. Yeah, I think I grew up. Um, I think there was two pieces to it because I think I my my childhood was spent in the U.S. side, mm-hmm. so like I only really didn't talk about it in the African community. Mm-hmm. Now I come from Sierra Leone, and like throughout my childhood, Sierra Leone was in a protracted civil war. Yeah, and so. Like people were really worried about whether their loved ones were alive or dead. We didn't have time to think about mental health, mental health which is mm. part of the problem, right? And even mm. in the aftermath of the war, you yeah. do have friends and family members who you... It's hard when you're in a country that has like five or ten doctors. Mm-hmm. They don't even have enough doctors to deal with the physical ailments. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Nobody's touching the, the mental impact yeah. of like seeing people killed in mm-hmm. front of you, of mm-hmm. being this close to life and death. Of mm-hmm. like, you know, I have family members who've gone through things, so many things, and they're like, there's certain things I will never disclose to anyone because I don't want to relive that. Yeah. Um, but again, like you, I think a lot of things were also crouched as like, oh, she went off because somebody did something to her, <laughs> you know, cast some spell or what have you. 
I think the other piece, though, is that I think that mental health in the U.S. wasn't always like seen. I think it's still a touchy subject it's in still a lot a touchy of subject, yeah, yeah. But I remember when like Martin Lawrence had a mental health breakdown, mm-hmm. and people found it funny. I think I might have found it funny as a younger kid, and not really understanding. It's later on people are like, "That's that, that's actually was not this funny. after Martin or before?" Uh, I don't really I remember, and I wasn't even that much of like I wasn't that small of a kid. I was probably in high school by that time. Um, exactly. But he did have a breakdown. We'd have to look to see when. But I do see a difference now from like with Kanye West, right? Yeah. Like less people find it funny and people are like, yo, Taking this is serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mm-hmm. think that that's Most what definitely. happened in the past. And I don't know yeah. if it's because it tended to happen with comedians, you know, like a, you think about people like Robin Williams. And again, this is someone, this happened when we were adults, mm-hmm. not children, but I don't know if the humor part comes from the fact that these people are comedians and people mm-hmm. not getting that, like, this is not funny. Mm-hmm. Or if it's just that, like, we as a community don't know how to deal with that mm-hmm. stuff, if that makes sense. I think it's more of we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to have that discussion. There are a whole lot of people who are hurting. I was in Accra recently. I definitely saw one guy who was just naked walking around. Oh, um, and you could you could clearly tell that this guy, not. yes, though there was something wrong. But he's just walking around. And, and folks are just looking, staring, going about the business. But the question then is, like, this, it's, I mean, like, honestly, it's not just Ghana, right? Like it's I can, everywhere. I can it's even in, in the U.S. I can see that in San Francisco, yeah. in the Bay Area, yeah. all day, every day, yeah. right? And sometimes it is people with mental health issues, and sometimes it's yeah. just people, people. who yeah. like want to share, you know, themselves <laughs> with the world. Yeah. Um, but then it comes down to, regardless of where it is, family and friends, and like whether or not the res- and drugs. Yeah. Let's not forget the drugs, which we don't necessarily <laughs> we don't have access to. Yeah, and speaking of drugs, a lot of times too, when when um, when you see folks struggling with mental mental health um, issues, it's like, oh, the person is a weed head. That's <laughs> the weed is a reason for. Oh, that's what they yes. say. Yes, that's why the person is not that clear. But that's clear in the head. Like, yeah, that's that's yeah. But then, we don't have the drugs, but we by talking about it and having an open discussion about depression, I think that's helpful. To open people's eyes. Well, I don't think it's just depression, right? There's schizophrenia, there's bipolar disorder, there's mental all kinds health, of things. Mental health, mental health in, yeah. in general. Yeah. But you do have the, also this issue of things being thought of as like running. I mean, I guess some things do run in a family. Mm. So I mean, some and things certain, do. Certain families yeah. are known for certain yeah. things. I feel like other people just ostracize them. It's like, oh no, you're not going to marry that person because I know that their aunt. She went off, as people yeah. said. They went off. I mean, like, went, went off where? Um, it, it's <laughs> it's tough because, again, we're talking about places where there's there a ton of resources for even ailments that we can see, so it's really hard for even things that we can't see. Um, and that's I, how we talked about it a little bit, but, like, I think that's also the religious piece, right? Yeah. There is the... It plays a huge go to role, this, and we're so religious. We'll go to this prayer continent. meeting, and yeah. they will cast that demon out, and you'll be fine, yeah. or um, pray pray the sadness mm-hmm. away, right? Mm-hmm. Using God as your therapist, yeah. which which is helpful. Some, yeah, it's sometimes it helpful, helpful to have but, that meditation, yeah. But sometimes you need something beyond that, and yeah. so what do you do? If you're in a country... I mean, it's just so hard. I think for, for but can you do, do you even? I mean, going back to access to medication, can you even go no. to a mental health health professional and can that mental health professional prescribe you medication no, to deal no, with? No, not the issue? if you're in the country with ten doctors. 
and you're fighting Ebola. And you're, you know what I mean? Can like you even afford to even do that is another question. <laughs> well, no, if you're in the village somewhere, then you're, re- <laughs> then, you know, yeah. going to someone for some herbs or something. Or I mean, I don't know. I don't want to make this like fake, you know what I mean? Talk about Africa as if it's not like yeah. a developed place. But like if you're in a more remote place, well, even if you're in a city and you just don't have money, what do you yeah. want to do? Yeah. Like people are trying to live their day-to-day lives. And I think the same things for the U.S. Like mental it's very health similar mental here is not covered in the by US, health yeah. insurance all yeah. the time. Um, Folks are struggling and they don't, they don't know where to, where to go for they help. Don't, right. And they then it's also like here. if you don't even know what to do. Mm-hmm. But for the African community specifically, I think you and I are now adults. Mm-hmm. We have the experiences that we had growing up mm-hmm. and ideas expressed. You know, we know what our communities kind of think about mental health and where where the failings and shortcomings are. Mm-hmm. So that like now, how do you approach it or what do you think we can do as African.Americans and as people who kind of understand this landscape a little bit better to help our communities like take it more seriously, figure out how to get them access to material, I don't even say materials, access to materials to learn about it, but mm-hmm. just access to resources to actually get that help. I think it starts with how we talk about it (laughs) and Mm -hmm. how we approach that conversation. Because a lot of times you see folks, you know, see someone struggling um, with schizophrenia, for example. And they're like, oh, that that person is just crazy, blah, 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 blah. She was at at Safeway naked and we all know. I'm like, well, did anybody try and... By saying that you're ostracizing the person and folks are like, oh, that's the crazy person. And right there, that's like... people know them by that adjective. You'd be like, oh, which one? The crazy one? Oh, that's and so... right right then and there, you lose the person themselves and mm-hmm. then you lose everyone around. I was having a conversation with one of my siblings about this, about how we we handle and talk about mental illness and how we say, oh, this person is crazy. crazy. It's just crazy. It's just yes. crazy. Yes. It's just crazy. This person is just crazy. They'll get over it. They just have their crazy moments. And sometimes people are sitting there hurting and instead of using, and, and sometimes we even use those words in front of the person who's struggling. And right when you do that, folks are just, you know, even when someone is struggling, they won't come and tell you that, oh, I'm feeling depressed or there's something going on well, with me. They don't even know they don't have those words. Sometimes They don't folks, have the right vocabulary to articulate. And that's another thing of, of learning kind of the the signs. Because sometimes you you live with folks who and you know, mm-hmm. thinking back into my childhood, yes. you, you think about certain, you know, certain folks in your life and you're like sometimes that you realize that yes, that, that, per, that person was probably depressed then. Yes. That person w- had an issue then. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever noticed it. It was like, Oh, that person is always moody. That person is always this. That's per- we always gave that, that sort of label um to it and never really identified what was going on or try to help the person. And I, I see it especially with women with postpartum depression mm-hmm. of p- folks will be like, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, that's how their family, whenever they give birth, that's, that's what happens. Wow. That's how, that's how it works. She'll get over it. And it's like, you're not, you're not getting help for that person. And sometimes it balloons into something else for, for the person well, from suffering. That's a good call out, just really rethinking the way that we talk about things. Yeah. I wonder how... I just, when you talk about the postpartum depression bit, like I didn't, I think that again, like even in the States, it's a new thing, right? Like is, I remember the episode yeah. of Blackish about it. Like that's the first, I mean, it's not the first time I'd heard about it, but like I would say in the last five yeah. years, I even knew. Yet, one another thing I add to the things about pregnancy that are scary as all get out 
this is a tangent, but did you know that for cesarean sections, they move your body parts out of the way so they can get to the baby? That is some scary stuff. Not only do they cut you open, they cut you open, lay your kidneys and whatever aside, so they can get to the baby, then they put it back in. And it's hard out here for mothers. I must it, tell you. That's some scary stuff. But <laughs> so you gotta deal with that and postpartum depression. I think it's 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 also and it's kind of taboo to talk about it because well, it's it like is. you don't you don't love your kid. <laughs> well, it is, right. Right. It's right. It's the like, feelings of motherhood should just grow. And I think I talked to my mom about that. And she, you know, thankfully I, she didn't. But she's. I think for her it was just kind of like she's like it's really sad when people go through that, but yeah. I never did. So it's also it's like it's not something that affects everyone, but we don't. We don't talk about it enough. Same thing with infertility, right? Yeah. Like it's not. Something we have conversations I think that about. nowadays I see a lot of people on Facebook who are like, yeah, they're pregnant, but like, let me tell you, this is not the first pregnancy. We went through this. We did IVF. Yeah. We did IUI. I got this. I got that. Um, and it is helpful because it, it, it breaks the stereotype and it lets you know that like all this glitzy. It's not like, just you. It's not the we're pregnant video. Yeah. It's, not, it's not the only thing that you get. Um, but I think I wonder about the religious bent, mm. the religion bent, and like how do we capitalize on that without ostracizing that, right? Because religion is a big part of people's identity. And I think that if people are using prayer for for relief and they find relief in that, that they should be, in, I mean, like it's free. Yeah, and, well, and I mean, <laughs> I mean, speaking of what some of some of the churches I've attended in the U.S. and I'm not, I'm, I don't know if some African African churches do this, but they do offer counseling. They have, but those aren't like real they, counselors. They have right? mental health professionals on campus. Not yes, volunteers. The church, not volunteers. Pray with you? No, okay. Because <laughs> no, I've heard of those. I'm no, like, this is not even prayer. Someone no. who a mental Little health Ms. professional Brown like, down the street is not the same. No, as, you know. And and that would be. I mean, and when when you're talking to pastor, pastors should should openly actually talk about those at church and offer and, and churches that are more established. Yeah. Uh, offer such a professional. You know, they may be on staff. Sometimes people feel more comfortable doing it through the church route than That's going true. outside and having somebody else, you know, know their business or rather the pastor know right. than so somebody on, else. On top of saying, you know, maybe it's a demon possession, but yeah. if we've prayed it out and the demon ain't gone, maybe we need to call so Counseling is, I think, there is nothing in the Bible, well, I don't know of anything in the Bible that says that folks should not well, see I counseling. Mean, again, so it's religion, I mean, a lot of religious institutions, if you think about like Catholicism and going to confession, mm, it is it a is bit all, about like yeah. unburdening your yeah. soul and getting that. Yeah. Um, to get a little bit more real, I think um, something that I do is I go, I see a therapist, I don't know, I'm at Hoffman, I see her. I don't really see her for a particular reason. I just kind of did it because it was offered through my health insurance. And I was like, I'm going to get every free thing I can. Yeah. Um, and it really is just a space for me to just like throw up things that have been bothering me throughout the week or whatever. And it's a, it's, it's a third party, disinterested party that right. you can just talk to. Well, they don't really say anything. They're <laughs> yeah. not going to be like, you're wrong. It's more like, oh, and how did that make you feel? It yeah. made me feel like some crap, man. You know, it, 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 I mean, I don't know. Everybody's therapist is different and yeah. they're different kinds for um, people's different levels of needs. Some people need like people who like, and I don't know the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. One of them can give you drugs. Which one? Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist gives you medication. The other one is like a the counselor. Um, and then, then there's counselors, right, mm -hmm. who aren't necessarily psychologists. psychologists yeah. um, 
I would just say for me, like what I do is to destigmatize things as I talk about it. I mention it to my family, to my siblings, so mm-hmm. that they know that like if they're in college or they're whatever later on and they need to go, no shame in it. Yeah. I know the first time I mentioned it. And no one is going to judge you. Yeah, the first time I met my mom was like, what, what do you do there? <laughs> I'm like, talk to her about my life. You she know. asked you, what do you do there? What do you do there? What do you, do you should there? have asked her, what do you think I do there? What do you do there? Well, I mean, I think too that like, there is this fear that you're going to be, you're going to come out with some complex and, or some and, repressed and, or, memory. Or reveal all the family, reveal the family secrets. secrets. I was like, it's not really. A, to some third party. Right. But it's not, but yeah. they're also sworn by law. Yeah. Right, sworn to protect by law. Your... They, they, whatever. They're sworn by their oath or whatever. They can't really reveal anything yeah. unless you are um, suicidal. Yeah. yeah. It's confidentiality. Unless you're suicidal, then they have to reveal to somebody to get help, get, let you yeah. get help. But it really is just, I think, for me, breaking the idea of like you need the only people who are bipolar or schizophrenic or depressed need therapy. Everybody, need, I mean, it's a form of therapy to go sit there and talk to your friend. It is. But then, of course, sometimes you're burdening your friend by yeah, just going to a friend every time and to your friend, that, and but... they might need therapy yes. themselves. So yes. it's just another. I look at it as another arrow in the toolkit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do find myself now. I mean, I do tell her sometimes I'll be like, I'm so mean to mine. I'll be like, I don't even know if you're helpful. What's this for? I feel like I'm going to need to reevaluate whether I need to be here or not. And then, you know, I'll be like, so when's your next opening? Girl, I got things. I'll find myself during the week being like, oh, I'm so mad about this. I'm like, mm, I'm going to talk to my therapist about it. I had a career coach who served as, as one for me. <laughs> And it wasn't. We are and, not and, and advocating she, she, using career no, coaches. No, no, no. But she, I, I mean, it just, it just like went there. They're therapists for the job. It, it just went there, and quite honestly, it allowed me to think through what was happening. Yes. Because a lot of times, <laughs> it would, just, it would just happen. I'm like, oh, I'm so mad. But mm-hmm. I never really thought through to the root cause. And by talking to her every week. It was just like, oh my god! It this is the reason. Why, yes, this yes. is the reason why I'm feeling this way, and maybe this needs to change. Uh, and so it's it's quite helpful. It's quite helpful. I think it's just it's just a nice time to take a break. Yeah. And like, not focus on work, not focus yeah. on all this other stuff, and just like have an hour. Um, Introspective. Yeah, yeah, to be you know just to like shoot the breeze and just like get certain things off your chest that you need to get off of your chest, mm-hmm. or to think things through. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's going to depend on like who the therapist is. I don't, I don't, I only know my experience, and mm-hmm. I don't. I know some people have had trouble with theirs, and they've had to leave them. Um, I think the other piece that's hard is that there aren't that many African therapists, yeah, or even yeah. black ones, people of color, and it's very hard to. It would be, I imagine, mine is a person of color because that was important to me. I was like, I'm not going. Oh, so go, you sought out. I'm a person not going to go to no white. Person. How hard was it? It was hard for you. To, yeah. I mean, like, it's not there are not that many. And even then, like, we're not the same group. And so, like, there's some, you know, there are differences there. But it's, I've just heard so many other people's stories about, like, not being able to connect with a therapist who didn't understand their culture mm. and make references. Because I think, like, if you're African and you do want to talk about juju and witchcraft or whatever. Or taking care of a family member. <laughs> you know, you need so people who I understand. Think people can yeah. wrap their minds, just people who can wrap their minds about whatever is your cultural experience the same yeah. thing of just like finding someone who matches your religion like yeah. if you're muslim and you want to talk about jinn you don't want a therapist who's gonna be like okay oh, like girl are you really talking about genies <laughs> like i'm gonna need you to right and i don't think that therapists want to do oh that but God. you if you feel that you're being judged in that way yeah. or you feel like what you, they're you saying down. to you yeah. isn't helpful you're not you're not going to continue yeah and that's i think that's another hard part but that also goes back to encouraging your kids 
to take the less beaten path. We need more African mm. psychologists and psychiatrists. It's a doctor. You get a doctor. It's a doctor. <laughs> you get a doctor. She's like, it's a doctor. <laughs> you get a doctorate in it. An MD. It's all an MD. Yeah, huh? it's an MD or PhD. You saw, yeah, you, I think it's One an MD. One of them is a PhD. No? Really? A psychiatrist is an MD. I but thought. I thought it's okay, but that's because they give drugs. Oh, but the psychologist is Psychologist, a, yeah, I think, PhD, is a PhD. Yeah. At any rate, you get to go to like big hard schools and get lots of paper big hard with Latin letters on it. So encourage your children to study. You're making these fun things. fun of, of our aunties and uncles. So. Yeah, encourage your children to study these things, you know. Big yeah, things. Big yeah, doctor, you yeah. know, that can really help our community. We need it. We do need it. And I mm-hmm. think obviously as someone who comes from a country that is war torn. The need for that is so, like, I just, I can't imagine in a place where, you know, there's been genocide or something and you just see women who are rape victims. Mm. You know, you just think about yeah. refugee camps and it's not even just Africa, right? So many places in the world where you're like, these, like Syria. Again, a place where people are thinking more about the immediate physical needs mm-hmm. and there's there's not even enough resources for that. Mm-hmm. But like the emotional impact on those children, on those families, on those communities, it's just like, we need all the psychologists, all the psychiatrists, mm-hmm. all the counselors that we, we can muster. All right. So now we're going to the final segment of the show we're calling Spotlight, where we bring on an African.American to talk about another new topic. Today, it's being LGBTQ and African too. We have our special guest, Josh, who will share his experiences as an African.American who's a member of the LGBTQ community. Hi, Josh. Hello. Let's start it off. Where where did you grow up? I like to start by telling people that I was born in the land once inhabited by the Tongve people, which some people call modern-day Los Angeles, but could also be read as what was once Mexico. Long Beach Hospital, Long Beach, California, is where my parents would say. And young, young childhood was spent there and faint memories of moving in the late 90s to the Seattle area, not Seattle proper as Seattleites would be pissed to hear <laughs> some Seattle residents when they aren't there, but the Seattle suburbs. So my parents actually married and lived in Nairobi, Kenya for a number of years before they decided on the Los Angeles area as a place to live out their late 20s and start a family. Are your parents Kenyan or where are your parents from? That's a great question. My father is Ethiopian by heritage and lived there until his late 20s. And my mother is American and Norwegian by heritage and upbringing and their lives in international Missions and humanitarian aid work is how they met, but at that time in the 80s that they met each other, living regionally close to where they worked made the most sense for a lot of geopolitical reasons. Wow, that's really cool. How do you identify ethnically or racially then? I have learned that I have an evolving relationship to how I describe my identity in terms of ethnicity and race based on where I've lived. And I would say growing up in the United States or the disunited States, the 
ways I was read by others, whether that's peers, childhood neighbors, teachers, in isolation from my parents was ethnically ambiguous, exotic, let's think of five or six other words that people might use. If I was with one of my parents, I was read as an adoptee or as someone who couldn't be related to my parents, whether, again, we're speaking about people my own age or adults. Mm -hmm. I did not know about race and did not realize what my racial identity might be until I was nine or ten years of age, only because there were so many instances that white Americans would stop my white mother in a mall, let's say, to ask where I or where me and my siblings were adopted from, that I started to really realize, oh, there, there are ways that people have formed their own stories about me and about my family in terms of race and in terms of family that cannot be the truth. No one, no one says, you are your mother's child, you are your father's child. And has not, no one has ever asked me, how do I view my racial relationship to my parents? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm different than them. And I didn't know how to articulate or understand that as a child. I think as a teenager, because I was in a primarily Asian and white school environment, and the few folks with African heritage not African-American or, or maybe African-American backgrounds, but African heritage were so few that even if I would say, oh, I'm African-American, African-Americans or Black folk at school would say, no, you're not. <laughs> because of them being Black is being full Black? or Yeah. Because yeah. not having a parent who immigrated in his adulthood, it was not having a white parent. How would you describe how steeped you were in African culture growing up? I mean, you, you, you did come from a mixed household, but your dad was from Ethiopia, like straight off the plane. Um, so how was growing up with a father like that? I've asked my parents over the past couple of years how intentional some of the ways I remember my childhood were because it seems to me as an adult that my parents very strongly wanted their children to be native English speakers. Mm. So there weren't other languages spoken with us in the home. The Seattle area, pretty much English was all I ever heard. So I know that the ways I reflect on language of my African heritage being I suppose, prevented from me or rather inaccessible to me was a kind of metaphor for many other ways that Ethiopian culture and heritage was not a part of my upbringing. Though my cousin and my aunt relocated to the Seattle area in the time that my family moved from California to Washington, they came to the U.S. seeking asylum and in refugee status. And once they settled in the Seattle area... We often went sort of driving up north from the suburb into the city 
to visit them. My father, Muslim family, but he converted to Christianity and his sister-in-law and her children were at that time all Muslim. So the time that we would spend together as a family was generationally divided. And in some ways, the upstairs was conversation among adults in English, in Amharic, and in other dialects that multiple people spoke, my mother not being one of those people, and then slight quarrel about religion while the children sat in the basement and played video games. And if it was Ramadan, then my cousins were fasting, but we would still be given lots of food to eat while they would not be. And that might be the one recurring vivid memory I have of, of learning, okay, the kind of hospitality that my aunt and my older cousins are offering us blend over religious lines and are about sure we're taken care of and welcomed even while there are some other rules that some of my fellow children are observing that I don't understand because I'm not being raised in this faith. I'm being raised in a, in a kind of Christian household, but I know that this is dissimilar to my white neighbors. This is dissimilar to my white neighbors who are in a Mormon, you know, my white neighbors who are from a Catholic family. So if there's anything I learned or observed as a child, it was in retrospect, I'm not being raised in an African household in order to learn language, in order to learn customs, in order to learn how to be caring toward people in my own generation or adults above me. I can't help but recognize that if there's a blended set of lessons that were Christian, Muslim, Ethiopian, Norwegian, and American, they were about how to respect mom and dad, how to Mm -hmm. do kind to others, how to avoid using the devil's tongue or the devil's language. And then that, I think, might be the African diaspora in a way. (laughs) How How are generations being taught to treat themselves and treat people around them in ways that are kind and respectful and a reflection of the adults in their lives. Yeah. I mean, I think something that stood out to me as you were, like, describing how it was visiting your cousins, like, that's honestly, like, most family get-togethers that I remember as a child as well. Um, So don't feel like you didn't get the African experience because that's pretty pretty much exactly what it was. Um, Mm. (laughs) I don't know, none of it was the same for you, but, like, yeah, I remember Thanksgivings, they would be sitting around eating jollof rice and like Sierra Leonean things. And my cousins and I would be seated eating, you know, cause we would fight to make sure we got the American things. So when we got back to school, we'd be like, what did you eat for Thanksgiving? I ate American stuff. I ate, you know, pumpkin pie and Turkey and mashed potatoes. I ate the African stuff too, cause it's delicious. But you know, um, there is always this kind of, I feel like that is part of the culture, right? But when you're saying respect mom and dad, there's also the piece of like, when they are talking, even if you know something about what they're talking about, you know your place, child. And even if they're wrong, do not correct them. Uh, so play your games, play with your cousins. You know, you may have different rules um, for of engagement, whether they're religious or not, or just like, 
you know, this cousin is not allowed to watch this kind of stuff. That cousin is not allowed to do X, Y, and Z, but y'all figure it out. Um, but yeah, just did want to flag that, that that is, to me, that's, that's an African gathering. Everybody is not necessarily seated together. It is very much segregated by like generation, mm-hmm. by context. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to know your place, <laughs> you know your place, but you, as you grow, you understand, okay, I am 12, so I cannot do this. But then, you know, at some point you get to be like 25 and then they're like, oh, come on, oh, what do you think about this? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> but here's all of the drama and tension and mm-hmm. internet that you may not have known or you might have suspected, but here you're old enough now to now hear some people's perspectives right. of it. All this That's time. been shocking. Yeah, all perspectives yeah. on people. You're like, whoa, Uncle So-and-so. Oh, so that's why you did that when I was five years old. Oh, that's where she went when I was 10 years old. It's all very interesting because it's like, yeah, you're a child and then you're an adult. And then it's like, but y'all, y'all, I wasn't invited to the party for 20 some odd years. So now <laughs> I can't like, you know, be the leader of this meeting. Um, yes. I, I definitely used to sit there and listen in on it. can be a real strategy no yeah. i mean you do learn some things too as a kid if you're quiet and you can make out who was saying what about who you're like Ooh. Mm. i will admit i will admit depending on what house we were in or what apartment we were in, in during these visits I knew if I go to this bathroom and I go listen in on this vent, <laughs> I'm going to hear the conversation <laughs> happening in that other room. I mean, <laughs> 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 Oh my gosh, the things we do, right? But you know, if you yeah. want to get more context on that thing that you know it's piqued your interest, why not? Why not? <laughs> and let me be clear, this was at... 10, 11, or younger, but those those ages that there wasn't a way I could maybe sit silently in a corner without causing suspicion. Mm-hmm. Right. Suspicion. So I knew, all right, I got to go to the other room, but still be nearby enough to event. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my siblings and I would, like, I mean, my older sister and I, like, if we both sit quietly, like, children are to be seen, not heard. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. every time, but, like, we sat quietly and listened enough, we could later piece the story together by ourselves. I'm like, who's this? Who that? Who do you think that was? Oh, I think it's this person, that person. And you're like, ooh, okay. Now I'm getting the story. I mean, a lot of them are benign stories, too. It's like, oh, I was walking down the store, and this lady was mean. You know? <laughs> like, ooh. Um, I think there's something about being a child and, like, piecing together a mystery that's, like, fun when you come from a when you have people in your home or gatherings where there's people from all these different places, literally, or from another country, because then mm. there's the, I don't know, to me, there's the joy of piecing together the cultural piece that, like, if you were just, like, in a regular American household, you'd be utterly lost. Mm. Um, mm. So, I don't know. But, I think that be- because I had a more frequent holiday contact with my extended family on my mother's side it's some more of my scandinavian and american family and they only spoke english 
around the multiple generations of folks, maybe 35 to 40 family members who would get together. I think that's where I learned how to distinguish what was what seemed to be Ethiopian or what seemed to be about the African intergenerational time spent together that was not only more fun, but also was distinct in not being a wealthy, large home with lots of furniture and lots of rooms and lot of time for small groups of people to go around and sip or gulp too much wine, whereas the extended family on the Ethiopian and Muslim side did not have alcohol in the home at the times we got together and wasn't about one or two people having connection time or gossiping together, but really was like communal conversation. Everyone should, be, everyone in a generation group should be in this room together. Everyone in another generation should be in this room together. And no one should be ostracizing anyone or leaving anyone out. No one should be on their cell phones. Well, I guess that was before cell phones, but no one should be doing, playing games and video games by themselves or going over the neighbors or something like that. I definitely remember those. That's a that's a really nice way to like think about it. I guess I've never thought about it in that sense. It is very communal, and whatever it was you're doing, if you're watching a movie, everybody got a everybody doesn't agree, but a movie will be decided on, and you will sit there and you will watch it. Um, <laughs> if you're playing, oh mommy, he hit me. Don't hit him. Go play. Right? Like you're still forced to like take. The movie's part. not disrupted. The movie will continue, and the children need to resolve. Yeah, y'all figure it out. Which is yeah. Oh, Africa, we're so lovely. Um, did you ever have a sense of like, this is acceptable or not acceptable? This is taboo or not taboo? Or this is just not something people even talk about in the context of. African communities or like your Ethiopian family or your understanding of Ethiopia through the prism of your family? Mm. In my household, I learned very, very early on that television and film that displayed affection of almost any kind, unless it was biblical depiction or it was depiction of the love of a parent and a child, Anything else is content inappropriate for children. Unchristian, ungodly, not for your eyes. So before I ever had any sense of normative kinds of affection, like with my siblings or with peers who are boys and girls, or what kinds of affection are are, are acceptable in my in my family household is turn that off, change that channel. No, you can't read that book at the library. And that even extended into the fantasy genre, which I know is informed more by my father's blended Ethiopian, particularly his own familial upbringing context of what is okay to be mystical or fantastical and for children to be thinking about. So... Something as, I don't know, innocent as, um, I'm trying to remember those PBS television shows that were animated that had like mystical creatures that were friends with human children, but I can't remember the name of any of them right now. Like those were bears or um, Smurfs. I guess they weren't friends with humans. Um, 
Peter Pan. Yeah, I, I guess Gargoyle. Disney. Yeah, let's just think of the Disney classics. Uh, so Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or mm, Sleeping Beauty were acceptable, even though as we might hear it, those are also stories that are about sexual violence in a lot of very strange ways against children. But right. uh, in terms of the kinds of stories that are mystical, those were acceptable, but not stories that involved romance at a level that was, I'm not say, I'm not kissing her to wake her up from a curse and save her life, but there's sexual intimacy going on here. So even if it was between a man and a woman, still being, being able to see or view that was unacceptable. So when I was an adolescent and being in a school context where the iPod had come out and people were listening to a wide variety of music, a lot of which were lyrics about relationships and sex and mm, sneaking around doing things that weren't allowed. Let's mm-hmm. just... <laughs> <laughs> learning that I wasn't allowed to listen to those sorts of things that also helped me understand, okay, I'm not meant to be a sexual person in this time of my life. Like that's for some reason not allowed. It's not acceptable. And I have to shameful and secretive about that Mm -hmm. and exception to that environment other than hearing what my peers would talk about, which I learned a lot from peers <laughs> and overhearing Don't peers. We all should that in it. Being included. <laughs> I definitively remember being in seventh grade and on the first day of school being with peers who I knew from, from elementary school. We'd all transitioned into middle school together. We were talking about sex. I didn't know what that word was, and I was trying to listen for context clues to understand <laughs> oh what it was. I think you were in that door trying to hear your your Ethiopian family's conversation. That's so. And I've not. I don't remember myself being a shy child. I remember asking questions when I had them. So I remember asking this group of three or four peers, "What is sex?" And they laughed at me like I should know what it meant. I remember not feeling shame, but feeling. Like, they were laughing to escape needing to explain it to me. Mm-hmm. Either because everyone else in the group knew what it was being talked about, or it was a thing that other people had shame actually talking about. So my question spoke it into existence in a way that no one wanted to. Maybe I tell myself that, that wasn't what was going on, but nonetheless, what did I do in, let's see, this must have been 2003, I went home after school, I turned on the dial-up mode of my family desktop computer, waited for eight minutes for it to connect, <laughs> go. and I Googled sex. I thought, if I Google sex, I'll learn what this is, and it will tell me the answer. Wait, was there Google in 2003? Was there? What? Was there Google in 2003? I feel like you were, like, going to GoDaddy or, uh... I think Google, Google search engine was... Jeeves. I mean, Ask, Ask Jeeves definitely came up, but I think Google existed. I can't be certain. Yeah, it's all kind of murky, but we get it. We get but, it. It's- yeah, so searching that, as I'll just make this brief, of course, like immediately gave me way too much information, way too much imagery. So <laughs> I knew. 
I, I knew, wow, I've read about none of this before. I've seen none of this before. I know this is inappropriate. Like, I know I would be in trouble if if my parents were over looking over my shoulder right now. So I closed the browser, <laughs> turned off the computer. And I think I'll skip ahead to say that being in high school was a chance to learn how other people talked about their sexual experiences and what they thought about them that helped me start to realize, okay, these kinds of affections that I've had for my peers, boys and girls, this, this isn't okay because what I've been able to ascertain or what I've been able to try to assume about what I overhear at home or at church tells me I'm not feeling and thinking in the ways I'm meant to be. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I, I don't know if, if it's at 28, I think I'm mad I, that that's the extent of, of what I was introduced to by people in my life and what was not introduced to me because I think I would have struggled and and not known how to understand myself or my desires or my affections if at a much earlier age I was already grappling with oh these ways I'm feeling toward other people or toward tv characters or yeah toward disney channel characters or toward anybody else this isn't acceptable and I have like more years of childhood to not understand how to figure out what's bothering me or what's puzzling me. And I think as a a high schooler, I had Google for sure. At that point, I did have the public library. I did have the Barnes and Noble bookstore. That was when I could start seeking information and insight from people I didn't have to talk to. I could find answers or insight from a diverse set of sources and no one was going to find out about it. I could check out my books. I could go browse books at the bookstore myself. And I thought I knew how to be very clever in uh, deleting search history on the family internet browser. But at the very least, I could start to learn about tensions that there might be in my family's Ethiopian, Norwegian, American environment, or even what the kind of homophobia happening in the school context was Mm. like. Peers from all different kinds of ethnic and uh, heritage backgrounds, but I didn't know anything other than my own parents' views, and they were religiously tethered. So my peers, any of whom didn't profess faith communities or didn't didn't explain their homophobia or their transphobia in terms of their religious faith, I just knew there were other kinds of cultural taboos about being an LGBTQ identified person, even though I didn't know any of those words right. at 14 or 15. I think what's so interesting is that you're, that you're saying is that it, it I mean, obviously this is not, uh, well, not obviously. So Nana, well, I can speak for myself, like as a straight woman, um, I, hear your story and I hear that piece of like I think there's always this story this like ongoing joke for a lot of children of immigrants that even when it comes to dating sex marriage it's like no 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 yeah. at 25 same thing you know then you become an adult and you can come in all the conversations why are you not married though I want grandchildren yeah. um so it's just really interesting to think about how that same kind of African idea of their children that's this is not okay for them 
they don't need to be looking at you know people kissing people and you know whatever these scenes in movies um being something that actually shielded you from some of the turmoil that people feel i don't say that people feel like in the in the u.s context right like when people are like 12 and you could be 12 in like a really supportive community um or semi-supportive community and struggling with your sexuality um so having that opportunity if i'm hearing correctly to explore and understand your sexuality when you are older and therefore better equipped or more mature enough to kind of like parse through and figure out what it is that you are perhaps i'm misunderstanding what you said but that's just an interesting way of thinking about like the way that African people be raising their kids, probably the way that immigrants be raising their kids, because I feel like this happens all. But you know, not not um, this idea of like no, 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 no. Okay, now go go live and become, and you know, be mm. and multiply, and then people, obviously, different people along the way figure it out with peers and internet and Google and all sorts of other things. Um, but yeah, I just did want to reflect on that. That's really mm. really interesting. Our interviewer, Josh, continues as a bonus track that will be out in the next couple of weeks. Thank you for joining us. Until we meet again. Mm-hmm.